Hello there, this interview that you're about to hear was originally done by me, Sam Roscoe or Chris Prince for the Blue Moon podcast sometime between 2009 and now. That means if there's anything that sounds a bit out of date or if there's anything that's an obvious topic that we've not asked the guest about, it's probably because the interview is from a long time ago. This show is basically the Blue Moon podcast interview archive. All of the new interviews that we do with former City players and managers will go live on the Blue Moon podcast first, so if you like what you hear then please go and subscribe to that and there's a new show every Friday with a look at everything on and off the pitch for City. But for now enjoy the end of this generic recorded message and enjoy the interview with the person whose name is in the title of this episode. Well I was uh, definitely excited um, because it was it was a club that I felt could either make or break a player's career and I was you know one that was certainly on the up in the lower leagues and I felt this was the, the stature of the club that I needed to be at uh, to to one, be able to test myself at, at, at the highest level, and uh, so so it eventually proved that to be as well. And of course, City weren't exactly doing brilliantly when you joined, and you know there, there was a relegation pretty much straight away that looked it looked inevitable. Did you really really realise what you were letting yourself in for at that time? Um, I think I think it dawned on me perhaps about two or three weeks in. Because at the time I, I transferred from Bristol City, and Bristol City was was absolutely flying, and, and in fact got promoted. So the confidence was high. I was coming from a team that the confidence was high. I was scoring goals, um, and then I'd come from that to go to a team that confidence wasn't so high. And, and in fact, where we used to train at Black Lane, fans used to sit in, uh, in the cars at lunch times, and and. and, and basically stand outside the fence and say you're rubbish and so that was very draining and, and it drained confidence and, and team morale very quickly uh, so it was it was an extreme from being in a team that was confident even though we were a division down um, to a team that wasn't so confident and that was that was a unique experience but uh, certainly proved to be the right decision for me. In the end you, you had to win the fans over yourself how did you feel at the, t- at the time when, when, you start, when they were starting to come on side? Well, it was funny because I, I'd always, all the clubs I'd been at, I'd always been a top goal scorer. And even though they didn't really take to me the first year to year and a half, I, I was still the top goal scorer, so I couldn't really figure out why. Um, and, and, and all I did at that time was I said, okay, who do they love? And at the time, I, they loved Paul Dickoff. And I said, well, I looked at, well, Every time we had training sessions and I said, the coach would say, get a ball between two, I would strategically try to get with Paul to really observe his ways and, and, and what it was like. And, and I really just took from, from his game and thought, well, they love what he does um, and try to put that in my game, along with continue scoring the goals. And, and, and Paul had an unbelievable work rate, a real tenacity about him as, as, a, as a striker. You, he had an attitude almost like a defender. Um, and so I, I put parts of that into my game, and that, that eventually helped me to, to win them over. And of course, you finished top scorer for, for several seasons running. Yeah. How, how difficult was it for you to kind of set the slate clean again in a new division? Because there were, the, the turmoil of the club was so, was so bad that they were going up and down every year. But as players, you don't really get too caught up in the, the off-the-field stuff with, with, with boards and... Uh, you just really focus on on your game, and um, and you know if you're doing a good job, and you know if you're not. And so for me, you know, it, it, was, it was rather easy because the first year 
you know, from my point of view, the challenge was to prove um, not so much to myself, but to the fans, because the first year I was top goal scorer, and they didn't like me. So it was a, the challenge I had was to win them over, meaning continue being a top goal scorer, but win them over. Um, so I had that challenge and I had that focus, and it, it allowed me to go into every game not taking anything for granted. There were some players that would be going to a game. I wouldn't say they took it for granted, but they knew they could make two or three mistakes and not really get any flack for it. Whereas I couldn't go in a game and make one mistake because I knew I would get I would get the flack, uh, whether it was my fault or not. So that kept me on edge. It kept me, um, you know, very motivated to to prove, you know. Joe Royal right for having the confidence to, to get me uh, to the club and then you know prove to myself I belong here and I could play here at this level and higher um, and then eventually uh, the fans start to see what I, I had to, to contribute. What do you remember of, of the first time you heard Feed the Goats? The, the, I actually, we, we were playing, I believe it was, was Fulham and I thought it was actually a song that was for, uh, I believe it was Vivian Foe, but uh, once hearing the song, it, 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 I knew it was mine. It, it was a case where the hair stands up the back of your neck, and, and that was the first sort of sign in, in my head that uh, I've won them over. But because of the journey I had in the first year to year and a half, I was never going to allow that, that love that they had um, in singing the song to sort of think, well, I've made it now. And for me, I always went into every game as though the same determination of proving I can be a good player for you. So I had the same sort of psyche as when they didn't like me. It was like, I'm going to prove to you. So I didn't really uh, get caught up too much in the singing songs about, you know, you can relax, you know. I, I didn't at all. And of course, Every year, you, the, the critics always said, well, he, he scored goals at the, at the lower level, but he won't do it this year. How did it feel to kind of prove those people wrong? What I've realised about myself is that's, that's probably one of the biggest motivating things about me. I'm, I'm one of those that are really motivated to prove people wrong um, when they say, I can't do this, can't achieve that. Uh, for some innate reason, there's, there's something in me that comes out that says, uh, I, I can do this. And then I get a focus and a determination um, that, and a, a focus that zooms in and it's like, I can do this and I'm gonna prove to myself because I know I can do it. And that's where my goal and focus is. And, and invariably, most things I have, I have, I must sounds arrogant. I think everything I've pretty much really put my mind to, I've achieved um, from, wanting to be a professional player, to wanting to play in the premiership, to even after uh, um, even after football and wanting to set up a, a semi-professional team in Bermuda. Uh, and now my next my next step is is, is management. Um, so I do have a, a strong belief that in terms of proving people wrong, it, it motivates me like no end. And I've actually realized that as, as time's going on, but I would not have thought that, you know, uh, in my mid-20s or something. I also want to ask you about uh, your favourite city goal. Favourite city goal? You know, say a pleasure. Um, you know, there's a, 
at 103 goals, it's uh, it's easy to go right to the derby games. Um, it, it's a number of goals. I mean, I really thoroughly enjoy. It. Yeah, the, you know, my 99th and 100th goal against United, it, because one, it it, it showed I, I had sort of achieved what I wanted to achieve. Uh, that I was capable of playing at this level and making a mark and, uh, and, and playing well. And I got, I got many match in that game. And, and so that was really about proving to myself. But the girls, I thought, were, were, were good girls because um, I did one over Bartes as a World Cup winning goalkeeper. So um, took a lot of joy in that. And uh, the City fans, obviously, the girl, the girl they love, and I think I've equally come to love as much, is uh, the, the one that never, never fed me, um, and it was a great, it was a great ball by him as well. There's no need for me to to sit here today and, and, and lie about it. But no, I mean the ball's come across, and I've dipped because I've dipped my shoulder, um, but it's it's clearly hit my on my chest, and and it's going in. Um, so it's funny because the the referee that ref that game, in fact, he he uh, worked in Bermuda. Um, or works in Bermuda now, and he actually um, bumped into me. I was uh, with some friends, and and he had asked me. He said, "So tell me, Sean, was that a handball?" <laughs> I said, "I said, of course, it was no handball." Um, but it was funny because I'm sitting there thinking, "You're asking me all these years later," and he actually asked me immediately after as well. And I said to him, "No, it wasn't." So he must have had some doubt to think maybe it was. Um, but yeah, I can categorically say it was, it was certainly off my chest as I've chested it in. Um, so yeah, I was pleased that that went in and it uh, obviously allowed us to, to, to get, get to Wembley. What do you remember of the morning of the, of the Wembley game? The morning um, is, 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 I would say, is normal in terms of for myself. It's, you, have, you have some nerves, but I learned to control the nerves and, and, and that's just tell him. That's my body telling me, you know, I'm excited about the occasion, but to control the nerves um, and, and be in control. So, because you can waste a lot of energy on, on big games like that by being so excited and the adrenaline within you and you, you, you're wasting all this unnecessary energy early in the, in, the, in the day, if you like, you know, come 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, and even if you're just having pre-match meal or meetings and you could be messing about, but you're just up, you're hyped with energy. But I woke up that day and it was, I actually woke up a little bit earlier than I normally do and, and, and I sort of looked at the time and I thought, oh no, I can, I can, I can lie in for another sort of half hour, and, but the mind starts, it's today, and so you can't go back to sleep. And this is where I talk about the energy, that, you know, my body was like... Almost at that point, it's like wired, like, yes, today, um, you know. Uh, but I then switched my thoughts to just try to get out of my mind, thinking about the game, because, again, that's where you can waste a lot of energy. Um, but it was, it was exciting to, to, to wake up on the day and, and slowly prepare, uh, prepare for the day and, um, and looking forward to it, because uh, Wembley certainly is not a place you want to go and, and, and lose. Well, you say you don't want to go and lose. I mean, 2-0 down with a couple of minutes left. How were you feeling at that point? Yeah, I, I was sitting there thinking, we've got all this to do. It, this is all, it's all been a waste, and we've got it all to do next year. And so that, that sort of thought 
went through my mind when they scored the second goal like uh, and it, again it was somewhere around um, I don't know five minutes left of regular time and then we obviously went and scored with two, two, two or three minutes of regular time but at that point I was like when they scored I was like oh we've got it all to do and they're their, sub, their player went off as a Saba went off he was high-fiving the players and all that and that and in a way it, it wound me up but at the same time it was like we, we, we can lose this game and and at that point at that point um, Kevin Horlock was sort of just just saying like come on like as, as like a no not, not give up like Come on, come on, let's go, let's go, to, let's go to the end. And I'm looking around, and I'm like, "Yes, let's go. We've got to go to the end." Obviously, the play resumes. We get the chance. Kevin Hollock, um, he scores the goal. We get the ball, and, and I'm thinking, "Is that a consolation?" I'm thinking, "Yeah, maybe it's just a consolation." But then, when the injury time clock, when the, when the not the injury time, when the clock goes up, it's saying how much time was. Uh, actually, it was that's when we had equalised. I was sitting there thinking we're clearly going to win this game, clearly going to win this game within within the uh, actual time. Um, and, and in fact, actually, Kevin Horlock actually gave me a through ball, and I've had a touch, and I've went to shoot, and the lad has put a great tackle on me, and the ball is deflected to Paul, and that's when Paul scored too. Uh, Paul had scored, so when Paul scored, and at that point, I loved him more than anything. <laughs> I mean, I loved him more than anything, and also his girl obviously takes us into the actual time and what have you. And at that point, I just thought, there's no way we will lose this game. Was, and it turned was, around, there was no way we would lose this game. I was going to say, I mean, you had, you actually had a, a part in both of the goals, in that they, both times you, you almost got your shot away, but you, they yeah. kicked it off your foot. Yeah, and... You know, Paul knows I said to him, I was passing it to him. <laughs> but it, the whole experience, I mean, what you could never, I mean, since that experience, I always feel when a game is two, three minutes left in a game, I still feel that there's, there's the opportunity to score one or two goals because of that experience. Do you remember hitting the post at 0 0? I don't. Not at all. <laughs> I don't. Um, I'd have to see some more highlights of that game, but I don't actually remember. No, not at all. Um, let's move back then to... Uh, to with, I, hit, with, I hit the post. You hit the, po- you hit the post. Well, I can tell you, you, see, after the game, we obviously celebrated, but you don't look back at the game in total depth and, and, and what have you. It's like that game's done and dusted. I suppose if we walked away and lost the game I would have dissected the game and that's how close we were had that chance going in it's a different game but I actually don't remember hitting the post at 0-0 well it, uh, obviously it went through to extra time and penalties yeah. um, I believe of one of the other uh, of the other squad members that I've spoken to uh, you were the fifth penalty taker yes I was and I think Nicky thought well sod that I better save a couple <laughs> I think somebody whispered in Nick's as a Sean's next Sean's the fifth penalty taker, so we need to make sure he save at least two. And hope they miss miss another one. But um, yeah, I mean, penalties for me is a situation that it's who wants it on the day, who's brave, who's brave enough on the day. And um, you know, it, it is one of those. You you look around and you and the manager 
the Times says, you know, I need, I need brave players. Who wants to take a penalty? And you could tell those who don't want because <laughs> straight away, they're right there close, close to the gaff and they look at him in the eyes and all of a sudden they just turn around and it's like, I, I know you're not talking to me. <laughs> but, you know, I was just like, I wasn't scared not to take one. And so therefore I said, yeah, um, I'll, I'll take one. So, you know, I put my hand up, told him, yes, I'll take one definitely. And so then he, he, he sorted out the order of it. But yeah, I was the fifth penalty taker. And um, I was pleased because I, I think I was going for a little dink down the middle. <laughs> I can say that now. I, I just <laughs> I, want to say I, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin Orlock is actually a very funny guy because, you know, the night before, he, he was cracking jokes about, you know, what happens if it goes into extra time and penalties and, and uh, he's saying about if he had to take one, he said he'll be, he'll, he'll think about going to his left. He said, no, he'll think about going to his right. He said, no, then he'll think about going straight down the middle. In the end, he don't know where he'll end up going. <laughs> but he was, he was a funny lad, but he, he talked about it, he described it that way, like, you've got five ideas in your mind, and when you go up, you're like, what am I going to do? <laughs> Just want to uh, have, a, have a quick chat about the, uh, the Premier League season a few years later. Um, Obviously, you started the season. Uh, you were injured for the start of the season. Yeah. How did it? How did you find breaking back into that team with the likes of George Ware and Paolo Wanchop having signed in the summer? I was excited about it because we, you know, we obviously got promoted to the Premiership, and there's these top quality players that are coming to. And I, I'm looking at them in training, so many training sessions. I'm thinking, almost like finally, this is the quality I want to be around. This is the quality that I can absorb from and learn from and play with and, and, and further myself. And so I was always, I, I just loved that competition because I wanted to be around this sort of quality. I wanted to play with this sort of quality week in, week out. And so I didn't look at it and think, they're coming to take my place. I was looking and saying, I could play with them. I could play with them. Um, and they can now see, you know, that this is something that that I so I look forward to as well. Um, so when George George came and and, and Anelka and, and so on and so forth, I'm, I I was I was delighted to be playing alongside the quality. How did you feel when Joe Royal lost his job? It was a big surprise because I was actually I was out out and about with my wife and and just heard the radio saying that Joe Royal has resigned or mutual agreement, and I was like. Hold on, we were just two days ago. We were sort of in work and stuff, and I was like, "Joe Rose has been let go, like, or has been resigned." What? So I call, I start calling one or two of the other players, like Gerard, and like, "Have you heard this? Have you heard this? Joe Rose been, um, he's resigned and or been terminated." So it's like a big surprise, and I and I was sort of thinking like, "We're we're we're on the riser. Is that the right thing?" You know, that's that was my feeling. To like, we're on the rise. He's, we're now gotten ourselves, you know, um, in the Premiership, and we did we did actually get relegated. But I was thinking, Joe could get us back. Uh, I had belief in Joe. I had I had hundred percent belief. So it was a real surprise to me. Um, and they decided they obviously went ahead with with Kevin Keegan. So you you have to dash yourself off, no matter how much you you like a manager or dislike a manager. You just gotta get on with it. Um, so it was a surprise to me, and you know, I was I was one that was like, 
because he, he had he had belief in me and, and his belief was in his actions and playing me week in week out and obviously after um, you finished at City you were you were quite critical of, of Kevin Keegan's management style uh, did you was it just like a clash of personalities for you or no I no I I just felt that um, and let me say this Joe Royal and Kevin Keegan were were, were were almost like opposites and that Kevin Keegan wanted you to go out there and play, believe in yourselves, go out there and play. And no player on the field will play in my team unless they want the ball. And it was almost the opposite because we, we would, that was a shift because we were a, a working class team. It was about everybody working hard for one another. There weren't no big time Charles. Um, you know, everybody, everybody, to really, we all sort of had average cars. That, that's how we were. And it was early when Kevin King came that, that, that the lifestyle changed for players. You know, started seeing one or two Mercedes come in and BMWs and then Ferraris. And that's when it changed when the top quality players started coming in. But we were sort of working class. Then we went to, um, uh, you know, middle, middle class, if you like, in terms of our standard and, and, and how we was. And so Keegan was was about about playing, playing out, playing, playing out the back, playing through the thirds, and it wasn't. It was just about freedom playing. It wasn't. It wasn't. Sometimes if we played a team and they outplayed us, what I found was worse tactics for us to outplay them. And 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 really, his philosophy is: you are good enough to go there and outplay them. Um, so that's what I found. I just found that it was. Tactically, where's the tactics for us to outplay them now that we're halfway in the game? They're outplaying us. What, what shifts are we making? What adjustments are we making? Um, and so that was that was a learning curve for me, um, and that, that that's what I found the difference. But it was a joy because you know, as a forward player, he was winning the team to create opportunities and and go on and, and score goals. So I was going to say one of your best goal scoring seasons. Yeah. So it was great, and, and it was because of the players like Ellie and Al Berkowitz, um, Ellie Bernabe and Al Berkowitz, those two players, you know, they came in and, and was assisting and creating so many opportunities forwards. It was like, oh, you'll, you'll get one or two chances in a game. So with that, I, all I was doing was, was making sure that my finishing was spot on because I knew in games I'd get opportunities. Um, and so, so it was great for me. It, it was great for me. And you were captain for the final game at Main Road. How did how was, how did that feel? It was awesome because, I, I mean, I, I was also captain um, for a period with, with Joe Royal, and, and that that really was one of the proudest moments of, of playing at the club because in the first year and a half, a lot of people will not recall, but I was getting serious stick from from Man City fans, and so much so that when they used to call out players' numbers. You know, number nine, Sean Goder, or, or ten, Paul Dickoff. The crowd used to boo me, and I had that pretty much for the first year, year and a half. But it was my goals and my endeavour that, that that turned that around. And so, when I had achieved being being the captain, it was a real proud moment, and it showed that I, had, you know, come the leaps and bounds and put the hard work in, and and sort of achieved the point that. He saw well enough for me to be captain of the club, and um, 
it was it was a great honor for me to to have you know achieved that and wanted to take that one. So the last game of the season, um, it was emotional. It was emotional because uh, when Kevin Keegan uh, gave me the captaincy because it was about trying to control, contain the emotions. And I'm seeing banners that are saying "Feed the goat," and "We love you, goat," and, and and I'm looking and thinking, you know, this is. This is the last game at Main Road, and this club has been over a hundred years, and and people found the need to put banners of Sean Gooder on the, the on this historical day. In in parallel to it being the final game for the club, and I and, and that's what hit me that that's that's what it means. That's 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 them showing their love and appreciation of me. So that was emotional to see that. I actually remember even warming up with Robbie Fowler and saying that, you know, I said, this, this, is, this is absolutely awesome. And he was saying, these people love you, her. <laughs> and it was a strange, bizarre conversation because I'm, at that time I sort of realized this is Robbie Fowler, somebody I look, looked up to playing, goal scoring and all the rest of it. And he's and his having this conversation with me saying like, I would love these fans to love me the way they love you. And I'm sitting there thinking like, you're Robbie Fowler. I've seen you bank goals in for everybody. For, I mean, for Liverpool and for England and all that. And I'm thinking, how bizarre is this sort of conversation? Um, and then we just kept warming up. But it was, it was an emotional day. And, and it did affect my performance because it was hard to contain the emotions of it. And, uh, but I, I enjoyed it. Do you know who still holds the, uh, the record for the fastest Premier League goal off the bench? I know at City, it was myself. Nine, nine seconds. So, hold on. It's, it's still the Premier League record. It's still the Premier League record. You know, I was motivated. At that time, I, that was in the last year of myself being at the club, and I wasn't certainly starting regular. And I knew that my part of the game was, was coming on because at that point, you know, Keegan was having belief in other players to start, and, and my part was, was coming on 20 minutes 15 minutes and, and, and it was funny because I was coming on and scoring and my time was getting less you know my time was getting less and, and, and the records would show if, if you look at the last probably 10 games that I was playing I was coming on at the start of 30 minutes and I'd come on and score and the next game I'd come on and I'd be 25 minutes and I'd score and it, it got down to a point where I was coming on like 7 minutes and, I, and I'd score and I know Kevin Keegan must have been thinking this bloody boy just keeps scoring, and I give, I'm giving him less and less time, and he keeps bloody scoring. Um, and so, you know, I guess that's, you know, I was motivated to sort of like say, okay, maybe I'm not, I'm not your first choice, and but I'm still going to give you that headache by scoring. And it's like, oh well, he, he came on 15 minutes and scored. Maybe you know, um, it's in his consideration to start me. Um, and so that's all I did. I just tried to perform the best I could. And, um, but yeah, I mean, the only one little funny, funny story in, in all of that, and that's between Kevin, Kevin Orlock and myself, because it was a point where Kevin also realized, because players talk, and Kevin realized, Kevin Orlock, like, he says, you're not getting on. He says, you're not getting on until about three minutes left. <laughs> so he said, you know, Robbie Fowler may, is, going to score, is either going to score or is going to miss 10 chances, but you won't get on until there's about 10 minutes left. So, and we knew this, so we had this little joke 
but whenever Robbie, Robbie Fowler would, would go and miss a chance, I would get up. Certainly in the second half, I would get up and warm up. And the fans used to give this roaring fade go. And so he, a couple of times when I've done it, he'll be stood there analyzing the game and looking. And so I would get up and I was like, me, Kevin, you know, he'd nudge me or I'd nudge him, like, watch this. And so I'd get up and I would sprint down the touchline and it would look as though when a player sprints down the touchline, oh, he's been told to warm up. So the fans are like, oh, it's coming on, it's coming on, brilliant, brilliant. So they go, feed the goat, feed the So they start singing. So I'm running down the corner. I do another sprint back up to the bench and a sprint back down. And I'm doing my little movements and stretches and stuff like that. And so the crowd starts singing. And so I can see on the corner of my eye, I'm looking towards the guy, looking towards the guy for Kevin Keegan. And he'll look in the corner of his eye like, what? His, his, his woman up vigorously and it's like... And the crowd's like, oh, it's coming on. So, so, so now it's a pressure, like, I've got to put him on. <laughs> I've got to put him on. So a couple of times, me and Kevin all like, we're like, it's got the pressure, it's got to put you on. <laughs> so once or twice we've done that, and it's put me on. So I, I think sometimes it worked. Sometimes it worked. But that was our little, that's our little joke. And he was like, sure, you can get on. That's how you can get on. And so we used to have this little, this little joke, little running joke. But... Just a little banter we hear. So every now and again, like, as you wait for the striker to, to second half, miss the chance, a good opportunity, and go, all right, I'll give Kevin a nudge and go sprint and warm up. <laughs> so he's, he's, he's laughing. The next thing, he'd, but he'll be like, yeah, you're coming on. So Kevin will look at me and went, there you go. <laughs> so, but then again, that was like the last sort of 10 games. So it was a bit of a little joke that we had. And it got, it got me on for some minutes. It got me on. So, and you, yeah. you had a very kind of special end game to your career as well with with Southend, Bristol, and Manchester City fans. Yeah, I mean that's the adulation. I mean that that was my personality. I mean to play at a, to play at one club. I mean I was at Southend, my last club, and we were fortunate to play Bristol City, obviously where I played. And then Man City fans came, so it was three supporters, three an appreciation of of my time there, and. Um, yeah, it was special. I mean, they made a whole Bermuda Day of it and had um, um, Bermuda Gumbays, which is um, gumbe dances and drums and stuff like that. So it was emotional. It was emotional, um, you know, going off and I, and I broke down and stuff because I knew I loved the game and I was a student at the game. And um, so it was emotional. But it was very special because at, at the end of the day, it was three different supporters. Um, you know, all congratulate me on, on my career and, and, and their appreciation of me being at their club.